Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, as we, we kick off these Christmas services, uh, I want to invite all of us to rewind back to that very first Christmas. Uh, the narrative picks up in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 14, and this is the message of that first Christmas. It says this, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Might find it interesting to note anytime an angel appears to human beings in the Bible, it's not like Casper the friendly ghost, like dudes are scared, uh, grown men terrified. These are shepherds. Uh, might find it also interesting to note that they, they appeared to shepherds. Uh, kind of in our society, we don't really think as shepherds as being a very prestigious position. Uh, in this culture, shepherds were not prestigious either. They weren't, weren't wealthy. They weren't of high rank. But yet heavenly messengers appear to common folk, lowly people, and, and have a message for them. Verse 10 says, And the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Check this out. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to them with angels singing and praising God. So like hundreds and thousands of, of angelic beings now appear. And here's the message that first Christmas. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. To men on whom his favor rests. I like the way the ESV puts it glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring us peace, not just peace in our hearts, not just peace of God, but peace with God. So, God, I pray today that everyone here in this room would experience peace with you in this Christmas season. God, would you help us to understand it? Would you help us to attain it? And would you help us to pass it on, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the message, the first Christmas, the first Christmas message delivered by the angels was a message that was good news. Not just good news, but it was good news that results in great joy. And it's not just for some people. The Bible says it's for all people. And it was a message that there's peace. Peace is available. And so today we pick back up in our study through Romans. If you've been with us this fall, we've been studying our way through this incredible book uh, known as the, the letter to the church in Rome. Uh, the book of Romans often referred to as the gospel according to Paul. Uh, there, there are four gospel accounts in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all those gospels document the life, the ministry, the miracles of Jesus. When we come to Romans, it's not just documenting the life, the miracles, the ministry of Jesus. Paul's documenting for us in his gospel account the ramifications of the life of Christ, the, the, what, what takes place because of the cross. Here's what can be true for you. Here's what can be true for me. It's unpacking the theological ramifications of the life of Jesus. And when we come to Romans chapter 5, we come to one of the most prolific chapters in all the Bible. It helps us to understand how we can have right relationship with God, how we can have 
peace with God. But Romans chapter 5 also unpacks for us uh, key doctrines uh, in the Christian faith. It's a big word that just means like there's important stuff for us to understand. He's going to talk to us about the assurance that we have as believers. He's going to talk to us about uh, depravity of, of mankind. He's going to talk to us about this thing theologians call original sin and how that impacts all of us in our daily life and much much, much more. But, but Romans chapter 5, as Drake shared with us, it starts off like this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Now, you guys being good Bible scholars and, and Bible students, anytime you see that word therefore, what do we got to do? We got to go back and see what it's there for. Good job. So we're going to rewind. What, what is this there for? And so as we, we, we Paul's building, he's, he's connecting Romans chapter 5 with what he's already talked about in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 and Romans 3 and 4. Paul's been unpacking for us this, this theological term that I hope all of us take hold of, and that's this doctrine of, of justification. Now, that's a $5 word, but it's important for you to understand because to the degree that you understand that cognitively, to the degree that we allow, allow justification to sink into our, our conscience, uh, it will be the degree that we can experience victory or be the degree that we get beat up uh, by the enemy at every turn. So justification is important for us to understand. It's essential not just to understand uh, uh, what it means for us today, but how we have right standing, how we have relationship with God. Here's the definition we've been working off of. If you've been with us, perhaps you have this, this memorized, but, but here's what justification is. Uh, justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sin. And then here's a, another $5 word. He imputes. That's a, a theological term. We don't use a whole lot, but it really means he, he credits or he assigns to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith they believe. This is good news. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He says, every week I preach justification by faith because every week my people forget it. That's important, right? Like, like that's true of us. Have you ever forgotten someone's birthday or, or an anniversary? Uh, like, yeah, that's sensitive. If you do, you forget those to your own demise, right? Like, it, it doesn't go well if you forget important dates, especially when it's your spouse's. Uh, but I would say, even more so, forgetting justification, forgetting where, where right standing with God comes from is even more vital, and, and you suffer more ramifications than even forgetting your own anniversary. So it's super, super important. Let's pull that, that definition back up. Uh, three things that take place. If you're taking notes, this is where your notes begin. Uh, the definition of justification is at the top of your notes uh, for you to reference and to refer to later. But, but three things take place at, at justification. One, he says, says, we're forgiven. You're forgiven. Here's the good news. You can be forgiven. Now, all your past erased, sins, mistakes, forgiven, gone forever. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 103, he says this, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you question how much God loves you, here's a good assignment. Sometime at night, go outside and just look up at the stars. And scientists and, and NASA is now telling us that, that uh, billions of light years away, is how far the expanse of our galaxy goes, and they're still discovering parts of the known, known universe. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you. But check this out, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin and transgression from us. That's good news. 
if you've ever blown it and you, you've done something that's like cringeworthy, that you, you think about, you're like, oh gosh, I, I really blew it. Here's what you need to know. In the eyes of God, that's been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Here's a question. Uh, if you remove something as far as the east is from the west, do they ever touch again? No. And here's what you need to know. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's the good news that Christmas brings. Here's the message that first Christmas that, that, that what would hinder you from having right relationship with God has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, never to touch you again. That's good news. Past, present, future, forgiven. Good news. But there's more. There's more. Not only that. So, so some people would say a definition of justification is just as if I've never sinned. And that's, that's a good start, but it's not all. There's so much more to justification. He doesn't just forgive our sins, but the second part is that now he assigns to you. He assigns to me the righteousness of Christ. That's good news because I don't know about you, but your boy's blown it. I've blown it a lot. And if I stand before God based on my own righteousness, I'm in big trouble. So someone else has to step in and pay for my junk and give me a righteousness not my own. And the good news of the gospel, the reason Jesus came and the reason that's such good news is because now you can have a righteousness not your own, but a righteousness that's been credited to your account, imputed to your account. I don't know if you've ever had financial trouble, but, but, but man, sometimes like if you can't pay bills, there's a lot of pressure, right? Especially this time. You're like, I can't buy presents. I, creditors are after me. I'm, yeah, I'm bankrupt. And you would need to know that's your position before God before you have a relationship with Jesus. You're bankrupt. We have nothing to offer him. We have no footing before him. But whenever you put your faith in Jesus at the moment of your salvation, sins erased. But now the righteousness of Christ that you could never exhaust, you could never run dry, has been dumped into your bank account. A righteousness not your own. And so now when God views you, he doesn't see you for what you did. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Here's what's important. The fundamental, foundational understanding of Christianity is on the cross. God treated Jesus as your sins deserve. So that now, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, God now sees you, God now treats you as only Jesus deserves. And that's the good news. So no matter what you've done, you can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in your time of need. The Bible says in Hebrews, you're forgiven, you're assigned the righteousness of Christ, and three, you're given faith to believe. You've been given faith to believe. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's by grace. It's by grace through, you've, been, you've been saved through faith. And Paul says, this is not even from yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works. So that no one can say, man, I saved myself. No, it's a gift from God. And for that, we're so, so grateful. So you need to know, at the moment you committed your life to Jesus, these things took place. Before God, the Bible uses this $5 word, justify. You've been justified. What does that mean? At the moment of your salvation, forgiven Sins removed far as the east is from the west. Uh, into your bank account, a righteousness not your own. A righteousness of Christ has been poured into your account. A righteousness that can never be exhausted. And you've been given faith to take hold of the good things God has for your life. That's why it's such a big deal. Justification. Back to Romans 5.1 says this. Now, now therefore, 
So therefore, in light of everything that we just talked about, in light of Paul, what Paul's been talking about for the past two chapters, this idea of justification, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, sins forgiven, righteousness credited to your account, faith given, in light of all that, now we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Christmas is worth celebrating year-round. Some of you don't turn on Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. I'm just saying, turn on Christmas music year-round because it's worth, it's worth celebrating. Is anybody still? No, no, okay, okay. Well, I'm a big fan of Christmas music. I like it. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? What does it mean to have peace with God? What does it mean to have peace with God? Two observations. One, it's not the same as psychological peace. Peace with God and the peace of God are not the same thing. Uh, what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 5.1 is not psychological peace. So that's not the kind of peace we're talking about. Uh, it is important sometimes to talk to yourself, though. It is, sometimes it is important to remind yourself who you are, where you are, what, what you have in Christ. All that's very important. But whenever we, Paul is talking about peace in Romans chapter 5.1, he's not talking about inner tranquility. He's not talking about peace of mind. He's talking about peace peace with God. He's not talking about a peace that's a feeling. Uh, He's talking about what one commentary described as a forensic peace. You say, well, what's a forensic piece? Well, if you've ever uh, seen a, a like crime show, there's forensic investigators. And after a crime takes place, forensic investigators come into the scene and they examine the crime scene, right? They're, they're looking for evidence. And based on the evidence that they find, they draw some conclusions, And that's what Paul's talking about here, that kind of of peace. It's not a peace that's based on feelings. It's peace that's based on facts. It's peace that's based on evidence of what God has done for us. It's not something that you feel. It's something that you know. It's cognitive. It's evidence-based. It's not experiential feelings. Second observation is that this is not the same as peace of God. So the peace with God and peace of God are two, two different things. Uh, you, you would find it encouraging, I hope, to know that the peace of God is available to you, though. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can experience the peace of God. And Paul talks about the peace of God in Philippians uh, chapter 4. He, he says this. He says, says this. If you want to know, in this Christmas season, how can you have experience the peace of God in the midst of the crazy, in the midst of uh, people saying all kinds of things walking by you, like we saw in What About Bob? Philippians 2, 4, 6 through 7 says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Well, that's easy to say, but how do we do that? Instead, pray about everything. Here it is. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Here's what Paul says. Hey, if you want to experience the peace of God, Think, think about what you need. He's not saying neglect what you need. He's saying, no, think about it. Like write down, if, you, if God were to appear to you right now and say, say, Michelle, what do you need? Mario, tell me what's going on. Hey, hey, Ray, like what, 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 what might I do to help you? What, what would you say? What do you need him to do? Write it down. But then also write down all he's done for you. Like, like what has the Lord done for you? Has he given you another day? To smell the roses and not the roots. Like, has he given you another day? To, like, with hope in the future. Like, has he, what has he done for you? And just list that out. And what, in my experience, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I, and I write out all the good things the Lord's done for me, and then I write out what I need, what, what he's done for me already overwhelms the current need and gives me faith to believe for what I need in that situation. And Paul says, hey, 
Here it is. Don't worry about anything. Well, how do we do that? We focus on what he's already done. We tell him what we need. And then verse 7 says, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other words, having the peace of God on your life is more important than having understanding in that situation. It'll overwhelm you more than we can understand. Then it, then it says this, his, his peace, the NIV, the ESV says, then the peace of God, talking about the peace of God, the peace of God, here's what it'll do. It'll guard your heart. It'll guard your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God, but peace with God is not the same as having the peace of God. I would suggest you can never have the peace of God found here in Philippians chapter 4 until you have peace with God that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5. Peace of God and peace with God are two, two different, different things. Um, peace with God precedes the peace of God. It, it, peace with God comes from having your sins forgiven, having the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account, and then having faith to take hold of the good things that he has from you. Uh, because of that, we're no longer at war with God. Some people might say, well, hey, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was at war with God. I thought I was just neutral. And, and, and I think a lot of people are in that space, and that's understandably so. But, but if you were to read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 that we unpacked earlier this fall, then you'd know that, that God's wrath is currently on people who do not know God. That's why justification sets a big deal. Because if you have not been justified before God, then the wrath of God is on your life is what the Bible teaches. Now, I didn't, I didn't write the letter. I'm just the mailman delivering, delivering the news. So, so here's, here's what it says, that God's not neutral when it comes to evil. In fact, God is completely hostile towards evil. He refuses to condone it. He refuses to, to turn a, a wink towards it. God's judgment is his active opposition towards evil. If we were to make a def definition, what's God's judgment? God's judgment is simply his active opposition towards evil. It's not just evil in general, but God's judgment is his active opposition towards evil people who suppress the truth by their unrighteous behavior. Here, we see it throughout the Bible. Psalm 7, verse 11 through 13. Here's what it says. God is an honest judge. Uh, another word, another translation said God's a just judge. Like he's going to render just verdicts. But here's the current state. He's angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. Pretty clear. Some people would say, hey, that's Old Testament though, bro. Like God was mad in the Old Testament. He's happy in the new. Let's talk about that God. Uh, John uh, 3, 36, Jesus speaking says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life. Check this out. For the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, God's wrath isn't just future tense one day when you die, but people who, who, who have not embraced Jesus, who have not experienced justification, it says God's wrath is currently on them. God's wrath remains on them. Why? Because they've rejected, they've rejected God's invitation of salvation through his son. Notice it doesn't say one day wrath will come the, God's wrath is on them. Uh, Romans 8.7 8, says this, the sinful mind, it says it's hostile towards God. In other words, uh, another translation, um, the New King James says, says the carnal mind, there's enmity towards God. In other words, like the unredeemed mind is at war with God. It's at odds with God. It's hostile towards God. There's, there's enmity. There's, they're, they're enemies of God. Uh, we think of new ways of doing evil whenever our minds are 
are unredeemed, and, and so there's, there's enemy there, there's tension there. Colossians 1.21 says this, this includes you. Aren't you glad you came? Uh, so before you know Jesus, this includes you. This includes you who are once far away from God. Anybody been far away from God? It says you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So what separates us from God? It's not that God turns his back on us. It's that we turn our back on God. How do we do that? By our evil thoughts and actions. But here's the good news. Verse 22. Yet he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault. Did you know that to be true of you? You're holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault. You say, how is that possible? Does God know what I did last night? Does God know like what I thought this morning? I don't feel like I'm holy and blameless as I stand before him. And that's why it's important for you to understand justification. Because at the moment of salvation, your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. The righteousness of Christ, a righteousness not your own, has been dumped into your account, imputed to you, assigned to you, credited to you. So now when you stand before God, you're holy and blameless before him without a single fault. Merry Christmas. That's why it's a big deal, right? What a gift. What a gift. Romans 5.10 says this, for if when we were God's enemies, again, doubling down, before we know Jesus, the unredeemed mind, before we've experienced justification, were his, were his enemies. If when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him. How are we reconciled to God? Through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What's this teaching us? There's a time in your life, in my life, when I was an enemy of God by my actions, by my lifestyle, by my choices. But God in his grace treats us not like our sins deserve. But when we put our faith in him, when we believe what Jesus did on the cross is applied to our account, we surrender to him. We've been given the righteousness of Christ and forgiven past, present, and future, and that's good news. The Bible makes it clear there are two types of people in our world today. There are two types of people here in this room. There are those of you who are under God's grace, and there are those of you who are under God's wrath. And I wish there were more options, but the Bible makes it clear that's it. Two groups of people. Our world will tell you there's more options. The media will tell you there's a plethora of options, but the Bible makes it clear we're either under God's grace or we're under God's wrath. I think Paul knew this. That's why he says this in Ephesians 5, 6. He says, says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Like God's wrath is a very real thing. Don't let people lead you astray to say, that's not real. That's That's not true. No, God's wrath is his active opposition towards evil. God wants everyone to know him. But for those who choose to reject him, they will experience God's wrath. You, I don't know if you uh, follow w- what the word of the year is, but Webster's Dictionary comes out with the word of the year every year. You know what the word of the year for 2022 is? Gaslighting. Gaslighting. And how appropriate of a word for 2022. Gaslighting just simply means to be deceived, to, 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 to present a message as truth when it's really a lie. 
And our culture, man, we're getting very good at this. And, and, and so in the midst of that culture, I would just encourage you with the words of Paul, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. There's two groups of people. Those under grace, those under wrath. We wish there was more options, but this is the reality. When a person is justified, though, the war between them and God is over. The obstacles of relationship have been removed. The justified person is at peace with God, and God is at peace with them. The war is over. And how good of a news is that? Back to Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like the video we started with in this message, peace means that yes, there's no more war, but more than that, it means that the two parties that were once at odds have now come together to work towards a common goal, to work towards common good. In our context, it's to work towards building the kingdom of God, helping more people find and follow Jesus. There's peace available. Isaiah 9, 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Here it is, the Prince of, of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He ushered in a moment, an opportunity, this moment, for you to have peace with God that you might be able to experience the peace of God. Luke 2.14, that first message, the first Christmas, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you know that you can have peace with God? You can experience his peace. Um, I would just suggest to you too, if you don't have peace with God, then the enemy will beat you up at every turn. And I think that Paul knew that. So when he talks in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, talking about the armor of God, he talks about how in this battle that we're in, and, and it would be important for you to know if you're new to church, like there's a very real battle. There's a, a battle between truth and lies. There's a battle between light and darkness. And the battle is really for your soul. And, and the enemy sees a, a great deceiver. And so Paul says, in your battle, in the spiritual battle that you're in, put on armor. Recognize you're in a battle. And he uses this imagery of a Roman soldier. And he says, says hey, 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 put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Make sure you take up the shield of, of faith. Make sure you put on the helmet of salvation. Make sure you're, you know how to use the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, so that you can, you can fight your fight well. But he talks about this piece of armor in Ephesians 6, 15. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Why would he say that? Roman soldiers, they would wear these boots with like spikes on them. Like think of like football cleats or, or baseball cleats. And they would allow these soldiers in the moment of battle, in the heat of battle, to stand their ground on slippery surfaces where rocks and rubble might be there. They would be able to anchor in with firm footing. I think it's important for you and I to understand the gospel of peace because it'll give us firm footing. When the enemy comes and he's accusing you, what about this? You remember when you did this? You behaved that way. The gospel of peace gives you firm footing saying it was never about my performance. My right standing with God was never contingent on me or anything I've done. It's always been about what he's done. 
He's forgiven me as far as the east is from the west. He's removed my sin and transgressions from me. I have firm footing. Understand that my righteousness isn't based on my performance. I have a righteousness not my own. It's been credited to my account because of Jesus. I've been given faith to take hold of the good things that God has for me. I have a firm foundation. I have firm footing that comes from the gospel of peace. Do you have that assurance? Do you understand and have confidence knowing that you've been justified by faith, that now you have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have what one commentator, Chris Hodges, called sweet, quiet of the soul? I like that. Peace, what does that mean? Having a sweet, quiet of the soul, knowing that the hostility between me and God has been removed. If you don't, have peace with God today, I would suggest perhaps you don't have peace with God for one of two reasons. The first reason, perhaps, is because you haven't trained your mind and you haven't trained your conscience to understand justification, to understand where your salvation really comes from. And my challenge to you this week would be to memorize that definition of justification and apply it to yourself. Insert your word in there. Justification, here's the definition one more time. Justification, it's important for us to know. Justification is the act of God whereby he's removed my sins. Justification is the act of God whereby he's assigned to me the righteousness of Christ. Justification is mine and I take hold of it through, through faith. Do you understand what God's done for you? Can you say with Paul in Romans 838, you have this level of confidence and assurance in your relationship with God, knowing that, that for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. God wants all of his kids to have that confidence in your relationship with him. And if you don't, then maybe it's because you haven't trained your mind and you haven't trained your conscience to understand what took place at the moment of your salvation. Second possibility, if you don't have peace with God, is perhaps because you're not a follower of Jesus. And the Bible just makes it clear that that you're either under grace or you're under wrath. And if you're not at peace with God, maybe it's because God's wrath is actually resting on your life. But I would want you to know that, man, all that can change in a moment. And it's God's desire more than anything else this Christmas is that you would come home to him and have peace with God. You say, well, how do I take hold of that? What does that even mean? Well, it begins by understanding what, where it went wrong. Romans 3.23 says that, that, that all have sinned and we come short of God's glory. So we've missed the mark. There's a goal. There's a target for us to hit. And we've missed it. We've blown it. I don't know about you. I've sinned. A lot. We've all sinned, the Bible says. Actually says that in Romans 3.10. There's, there's no one righteous, like not even one. No one in and of themselves can have right standing with God. It all requires, all of us require someone else to step in and pay our bill, pay our fine. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin or the result of sin is death. Like when we sin, yes, physical death happens because of sin, but not just that. A spiritual death, separation from God. But all that can change because of what took place at Christmas. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like you can be saved, the Bible says today. You say, well, how do I do that? What does that even look like? Well, Romans 10, 9 says this. If you openly declare, let's go to Romans 10, 9 real quick. Here's what it says, Romans 10, 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and that's an interesting phrase. We don't use that word Lord a whole lot in our culture, but but Lord simply means like rulership, like he's the boss, he's kind of the CEO. And it's a declaration, it's a conscious decision to say, God, I've been, calling, I've been the Lord of my life. I've been the CEO of my life. I've been calling the shots. Today I'm making a conscious decision, I'm gonna make you the Lord. I'm gonna let you call the shots. I'm gonna let you rule over my life. If you openly declare that Jesus is the CEO of your life, he's the leader of your life, And then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that you will be saved. That can be yours. But you got to talk to him. I wish your parents could do it for you. I wish your pastor could do it for you. But it's a decision that only only you can make. And if you're ready to make Jesus the leader of your life, you're ready to apply Romans 10.9 to your life, then, then that's my invitation to you. Just to talk to God. We call it prayer, but just just be honest with him. Say, God, this is where I'm at. I'm making you the leader. I believe what Jesus did applies to my life. I believe you treated Jesus like my sins deserve. And I've heard there's an opportunity for you to treat me like only Jesus deserves. That's the message of Christmas. You can have peace with God.